0: Welcome to Eva, the Relationship Maker podcast, where we talk about difficulties, triumphs, mistakes, successes. We talk about experiences and definitely relationships, because without relationships, we we cannot succeed on our own. Hi, Sibu Siso. People did not listen to the previous podcast or they don't know about you. They have been hiding somewhere, and I'm not going to... um, to enumerate all your achievements because we, they are too many. And if people want to find out how many, just listen to the previous podcast, Mount Everest, here I come again for the third time. And uh, the only thing I can tell you at this point, uh is a legend in South Africa. He climbed Mount Everest twice and he's going for the third time. He climbed all the seven summits. He climbs every year Mount Kilimanjaro for um, uh, in honor of uh, Nelson Mandela on his birthday. He is involved in many charities and uh, helps many people, uh, especially kids. And uh, the one thing that you have to know, he won uh, the Order of Ikamanga Bronze, and uh, it was given by President Beki. And... He also was uh, invited to the Buckingham Palace and met with uh, Queen Elizabeth for his achievements with some of his friends. So I'm going to leave it like that because last time it I I, I looked at and it was six minutes <laughs> just giving your achievements. So hi, Sibusiso.
1: Hi, Eva. Well, thank you very much again for having me. And uh, you you said a mouthful, and it's, it's very very interesting. Absolutely. Uh, very profound to where we are today, sitting and one thinks about the things that he's done and achieved, quite quite remarkable. So it's wonderful to be back here. And yes, um, I am going to be returning to Everest. In fact, I need to say that this will be my fourth visit uh, because to give people a little bit of perspective, my first was in 2003, which was successful on the south side of the Nepal side. And I went back two years later to do it for charity, which was on the north side, on the Tibet side, and I summited. And I visited in 2014 where I wanted to have an attempt of Everest without oxygen, and we could not make a summit attempt because an accident happened which killed many, many shepherds just before we started the climb. And that attempt was cancelled, so I never had an attempt on the mountain, but we had arrived at base camp. So I lived with that dream of wanting to know how far I can go naturally without the use of supplementary oxygen, but only returned in 2018, where I climbed to as high as 8,000 meters. I was only left with the 848 meters before the summit, when I didn't feel right health-wise, so I made the right decision, I still want to believe, was the correct decision I made to turn around and walk away, and then to be alive, because I felt that I was Either going to die up on the mountain. It's one of those things that you need to be very careful uh, about when you venture into this. So, this year I am planning to go back and go back with my family. And we are not going to go for a summit attempt as into like going all the way to the top. We want to celebrate my 20, 20 years of uh, 20th anniversary of my first ascent of Everest, in which I did in 2003 in March, uh, in May 2003. So this is just a celebration to bring my family with me, to show them the mountain that has become part of their history. And we are hoping to track together on the and then on the 26th of May, which is the, the day I summit it, we want to be standing at the base and then I pointing and showing them that that's I was there on this day, this morning, 20 years ago.
0: And you are going to uh, to try to climb, or uh, and you leave the family on at the base camp, or you are going to be with them, and you are not climbing uh, this time.
1: This time around, my intentions are very clear. It is just to celebrate with the family, and I'm not looking forward to making a summit attempt uh, because I think I feel I feel I've I've had enough uh, attempts of the mile of Mount Everest. I mean, over the last past five years. I've been trying to raise funding to go and climb other mountains and one of them is next to everest but i've been been very fortunate to to get the support so that's why i thought maybe for a change let me just back with my family to everest basically which is very huge in the family and Mm -hmm. i want to be with them but the one thing i'm going to do instead of, of climbing to the summit on the 29th of may which is always the, that's the year, that's the, the, the date that Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay summited Everest and became the first humans ever to stand on top of Mount Everest. There's an annual um, marathon or race that is run from base camp at 5,300 metres, which I ran in 2019, but this year, because I will be there with the family, when they are walking back, I will remain at base camp until the 29th of May where then I will run down again to catch up with them at Namche Bazaar, about 42 kilometres down. It's a very tough um, marathon. I remember doing it in 2019. It wasn't easy. It took me about seven and a half hours to do it. I hope that I will do it much better this time. But yes, we are not going to go for a summit attempt. And None of the children wants to do a summit attempt um, with me. So I'm just going to be showing them and guiding them and leading them. And we have got invited other people. Already we've got four South Africans who are not showing interest, but who are committing to coming to have this historic celebration with us. And then I would be leading them to base camp. And and then we walk out together. And then 29 May, I would be running. So I'm very excited about this whole thing because it's a dream of mine that has been lingering with me for a number of years. In fact, it comes from questions you get from journalists at times. Does any of the children want to follow in your footsteps? And I've always said, uh, no, they don't. uh, But I would like to take them to base camp one day to show them the mountain. And and I was delighted when I asked them uh, last year and they said, of course, we would like to do it. In fact, my son and my one daughter said, they are thinking that in their lifetime, they would want to attend the summit of Everest. I hope it happens in my lifetime when I'm still alive.
0: I met uh, I met your kids, the two older ones, your uh, your princess, and your, I didn't catch your son's name. What is your son's name?
1: His, na- his name is Bavugile. Okay, Bavugile.
0: <laughs> Okay, that's hard for me, unless I see it written. <laughs> but yeah, they are amazing kids, and I, I really had fun talking to them. So... Um, anybody who's interested you have a chance uh, just to dip your toes in what it takes to be at the base and how to proceed to uh, to climb now i have two questions for you how you prepare mentally to do the uh, to do the summit because i know that sometimes you are in a good shape but uh and but your body says oh i cannot do it but your mind says no I will be going to do it so the, my first question how you prepare mentally for this climb?
1: well mental preparation is is, is very diverse Di- i'm saying diverse in that it's it is a personal thing um I, it depends on what people believe and others will say i meditate which i don't but well, maybe I do, but uh, the way I meditate is because I visualise the mountain. I think about the, the mountain. I think about the challenges along the way. I tried to figure them out, even though when I first went, I didn't really know what the physical challenges were, will be. I sort of thought about the coldest of conditions that I've never been on. And I thought about the harshest of weather conditions and the environment and everything. And I just made it so huge and so big that it haunted me for for the number of months I was just getting myself ready to go to Everest. But at the back of it all, my mind still said, let's go and do this because these are the challenges you need to face. These are the little setbacks or obstacles you need to overcome to be able to summit the mountain. So I played a lot of that tape, thinking about the torment of the cold. I could not imagine sleeping when temperatures are minus 20, minus 30 winds blowing at 120 kilometers per hour and the physical torment of it i never did but the other thing i I, the other way i also prepared myself mentally which is what i've been telling the kids to do is to read a lot about the mountain read all the books about what what other people have um have experienced and what challenges do they share that they faced And what made them not to summit or what made them to summit? And one of the books I read personally was The Ascent of Everest by John Hunt, who led the 1953 expedition. And I learned quite a lot from that book and it prepared me mentally. Then the second book, I read three books before I went to Everest. The other book was called um, Into Thin Air, written by John Krakawa. And it is an expedition, it, re- it writes about or sort of details the expedition of 1996 where climbers were caught unaware in the storms and many of them didn't make it to safely down, others did. But you're reading, you're reading these stories of those people and how they were able to come out alive, those that's, 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 that did. And that sort of made me realize what challenge it was, but made me also be aware of the dangers and whether I was going to put myself through that. So it helped. And then the third book was a book called uh, On Top of the World by Rebecca Stevens. I think she became the first British woman to summit Everest in 1993, somewhere there. And I was reading, sitting down in, uh, going to base camp, reading about her situation on the mountain where they had to abandon it at the first two attempts and being pushed back down by a storm. And I never thought such things could happen. And reading about her frustrations while sitting in a tent when the weather was just tormenting the mountain and they couldn't go. But eventually, when she never gave up but kept kept yeah. the, the resilience and summited, then I realized that is what it takes. So it was more about information gathering. And I think that's how you prepare yourself mentally, because you can't put yourself into a sort of exercise regime than you would do when, you, when you're when preparing physically. So their mental preparedness is through reading and gathering much information to understand what the challenge will entail and how do other people overcome the challenges along the journey.
0: I love that you have a quotation, and I'm going to uh, read that. Uh, Your message is every person has their own Everest to climb. And I think it's a metaphor for life because life is like that. You have all the challenges, all everything that comes your way. But I find that you are very extremely focused because if you are not, you can uh, endanger your life. So uh, I think one of the things it's how how is your mental state are you prepared for everything now we know the mental state it's it's important it's major but how you prepare physically because that's another totally uh, totally different game
1: absolutely Uh, yes again this one is is one of those virtues that you can never overlook Uh, i must say everest is a very physically challenging mountain um the don't believe the people that say Everest has become easier than what they were in the 1920s because of the technical clothing or gear that we wear. The mountain is still 8,848 meters. It is physically tough and the conditions have not changed by much. Uh, They still, as they are those years, it will still be cold. You will still be crossing crevices. You will be climbing seracs and big uh, ice blocks. So you need to be physically prepared. How do you do that? Um, again, it's one of those that will. Uh, I would say there's no standard norm. You can't say this is the regime that you need to follow. But a person can choose a program that suits their interests. Because again, training or preparation has to be something that you sort of enjoy at the same time, as much as it is tough. Personally, I run. I run a lot. And I, when I went for the notion attempt, I also went to the gym. I'll sit on on. On, on treadmills and on a bicycle, but most of my training, my physical training is running because I'm in, I'm a marathon runner. I'm not saying people should run. Other people ride bicycles, but it you can go the most important is just to help your body physically and your cardio as well. So lots of exercise that you need to do, but much more you need to be walking. Um you need to walk a lot because you will walk for 10 days trekking to Everest Base Camp. Then I can never overlook If you are going for a summit attempt, then it helps for you to go and climb other physical mountains. It can be another 6,000 meter mountain or 7,000 meter mountain. But if you are only going as far as base camp, I will say your physical training and focus should be on hiking, like ordinary hiking, where you go to a wilderness trail and hike hours on end, and then you supplement that with whatever exercise regime or um, fitness regime you follow your core muscles, you need your legs, you need your feet, you will need your lungs. And then obviously, as we said it earlier, you will need your mind because it is a mind-tormenting journey. You've got to still have the mental capacity to say, you know what, tough as it is physically, I can still get there and I will make it.
0: It's total endurance, mental and physical endurance. And I know that uh, you founded The Running Club uh, uh, Born to win and I'm you are very involved with uh, young uh, young people and you are like a mentor to them. So how do they feel about do any of them have this um, this aim to go and climb with you or to climb Everest or to climb whatever mountain?
1: Well, no, no not, a, not, a, not my runner. They still ask time to puzzle by the fact that I go and climb all these mountains. But the I think the, we use the same metaphor. You said it earlier, but each one of us has got our own Everest. So their Everest is just to perform on the running side of things. And, and that works quite well. And I prefer to do both. I run as well as I climb mountains. But for me, the, I named the club Born to Win Athletics because I want to instill the, the feeling that you were born with all the capability to do great things, to achieve just like anybody. And I think, as, as the name plays in their heads at what they believe, because my, my boys are coming from very underprivileged rural of South Africa. There are no resources. And I mean, we don't even a track where they train. We just train on the road. Uh, there are no facilities or anything. But because I just tell them that it doesn't matter where you come from, it's about how far you want to go in life. And you can, you can start from anywhere and you get to the top. And I say, look at myself. I started right here with you uh, from the same area as you are, and I've been to all seven continents on the planet. I mean, who'd have thought about that. So for me, that is the inspirational angle that I bring into this club. And it was just the love of sport that made me to decide to start and and, and just encouraging young people to be involved in sports. It doesn't matter what sport they play. So I found running to be the most benefit. And it was then the most... Cheaper and easiest to to do other than soccer, crickets, which are very dominant in South Africa, but those were quite expensive to get in and very difficult to get into. But nowadays things are changing. Even road running is becoming more expensive. I and mean, I've and I was entering for my twenty twenty three races. I think I've run about I will run six different races before the end of the, from now up until the end of the year. I'm starting my next one. I'm running on Sunday at forty two kilometers. I think I've already paid close to 2,000 rands, uh, which is probably about, what, more than more than $150 um, for sex events throughout the year, which is money that is near impossible to afford by any of these children who are being brought up by grandparents, and some of them are parents themselves because they don't have a the father, they don't have a mother. So, so running, for me, it was a way to make them if they put the efforts and win, like one of my runners, he's the top runner in the province where I live right now, most of the distances he wins. Gets himself a little bit of money and then he supports himself and some of his siblings. So so it just was just that gesture to say, this is the only way I can help you. And um we've been going for the last 10 years where I just fully funded the whole thing. It's not not big big monies, but it's a big commitment really to have them do this and gives me joy and fulfillment whenever time I see them put on our really really running shirts and go on the road and run.
0: It's so important to have that that encouragement for young people and to have that that feel that they can win at something. And really walking and running, okay, not when you enter competitions, but when you run, it's free. You can go out and you can have fun and, and, and prepare for a lot of things how long it takes uh to climb a mountain like let's say uh, kilimanjaro how long it takes how many days or how many hours or
1: uh, kilimanjaro being the uh, talking about the seven summits uh, for, for for people who might be listening maybe for the first time These are the continental peaks where from each continent you climb the highest peak ever, as being in Asia, you've got uh, Aconcagua in South America, Manma King in North America, you've got uh, Carsten's Pyramid in Australasia, and then then you've got Kilimanjaro in Africa. So Kilimanjaro is the Europe's highest is in Russia, and then obviously uh, one of the furthest in the continent is Mount Vincent in Antarctica, where I've been as well. Um, but then the shortest in days to climb is Kilimanjaro because Kilimanjaro takes uh, 10 days. I'm talking about arriving in Tanzania and then leaving Tanzania. On the mountain, When you, from when you start from the, from the base, you, you summit on day five, but it depends on what route you choose because it has got a number of uh, different routes. Other people prefer to do the seven-day route, others nine days, which gives them a little bit more time to acclimatize the longest you can do is 10 days on Kilimanjaro being just before the summit but it is the shortest compared to Everest which is almost two months I mean we finding Everest is 60 days um but for Kilimanjaro on the summit night it is only a matter of uh, 12 hours you'd be at the top and back down to the safety of your camp um whereas Everest again is two full days of really hard craft so that's that's the comparison in the time frame it takes can also think about it. 10 days, you'll be back home uh, for Kilimanjaro. 10 days, you'll still be trekking to Everest Base Camp on Everest. You are not even started the climb after leaving home. And for, for my family, again, to make an example, for my family and I, um, we need 20 days to trek, to climb when we leave home until we come back home. It'll be 24 days that would will be away from home.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when, when you climb Everest... I suppose you stop certain places. You have to take a break. You have, uh, uh, you have. I mean, it's it's many many days, so you you need that. Yes, it is. It is. It is
1: climbed in in stages, and the first stage obviously is arriving in Nepal, and then your approach to base camp that takes ten days, and this second stage will be acclimatization, which you achieve by climbing a little bit to certain camps, and then you're spending a night or two, then coming back down to rest at base camp, and then you gradually go. So you've got about three of these little rotations, we call them, where you climb up, say, to camp one, for example, one night, then you come back down to base camp to rest. After you feel you can go again, maybe after two or three days, you go back up to camp one, one night, and then you go up to camp two, maybe two nights, just to acclimatize there a higher elevation again and then you withdraw back down to base camp to rest more then your third and final rotation takes you to about camp three at seven thousand three hundred meters when i did it in 2003 we slept at camp three this day they call it touch camp three where they just go for a day hike to camp three seven thousand meters come back to camp two at six four and then they just take their bags go down to base camp to recuperate and recover more And then wait for a weather window opportunity, which is about seven days of clear weather. Really, that's what you need. And that whole entire period is amazing. That would take you at least 50 days uh, of doing that. So there's a lot of resting. And at times, there's a lot of waiting patiently for the weather. And that's where you learn all these virtues, that for you to succeed, you need to be flexible, you need to be adaptable. And then you just need to be resilient. Because in the midst of a storm, there's nothing that you can do. It is your resilience that will just make you wait and wait and a lot of patience. Because when you are not in control, the only way you can still stand a chance to make a summit attempt is by adapting to what the weather is dictating, knowing for sure that, you know what this is this old saying that. After every, after every storm, there comes sunshine. And then you don't know when it's going to happen, but you wait and wait. And I think there's a lot we can learn, or I have learned from mountain experiences, that life is about that. There will be ups, there will be downs. And it is always like that. There's no other way. So that is what it takes.
0: So you need good lungs, that's for sure, because the oxygen and the, and the heart, the lungs, it's, you know, like... You really need that, so you have to be in good health in order to uh, to a- attempt, not even climb, but attempt to climb it.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And in fact, you start, even, you start feeling the altitude sickness or symptoms very early, quite lower down. And as soon as you hit the Kungu the Valley, which is just the, this area near Everest, you can just feel it. The air is so dry and some of us start coughing but there's also a now a known thing, this type of uh, bronchitis, type of cough, and we call it the Kumbu cough because everyone gets it as soon as you you get to the Kumbu Valley, and some of some people get better as they as they spend time on the mountain, and other people then never recover from it. You you, know, you live with it until you go go out the mountain, and sometimes people are stopped by it because it is so vicious like you really, really feel that you are sick and and you need to evacuate. So you need a very good pair of lungs, even though people say it depends on on your parents. So there are people who, who, who say that they chose the best parents and as such, they cope quite well. That's why you need this long time to gradually allow your body to adapt and acclimatize and be conditioned to those conditions over a long time and then sometimes, then if you are very lucky like myself, I think all my visits, my body responded such that I was able to go on higher and higher. So yeah, uh, you need to very you need to be very healthy. You can never attempt the mountain when you are sick or feeling a little bit sick. In fact, you're not allowed. In the, when the doctors check on you, if you there is some, uh, if they pick up that there is some sickness that is concerning, they send you down to rest or else then they say, you know what, we feel that you need to be sensible, and then you just call the expedition off, which is quite sad if that happens. But yeah, there's a lot. It's not just the physical mountain that challenges you. There's a lot that happens around you that can uh, stop you from uh, progressing further or even making a summit attempt. But you've got to be prepared for either or. And that can only be done by mentally understanding what it takes to reach the mountain. It's never plain sailing. It's never It's never a one-way flow where you start your summit and walk out. No, there's a lot that needs to be at play, that needs to be in your favor for you to then eventually take that water on top of the world.
0: It's so interesting. I'm listening at you and I'm like, hmm. It's, uh, it must be magical to be on top and look down and say, okay, I conquered the world, basically, because that's where you are, on top of the world.
1: Eva, it is one of the most amazing moments of one's life. I think when you are still climbing or when you leave home, you never fully understand what the feeling is going to be like. And it is such an overwhelming feeling that there are many people who have never been able to contain themselves you kind of hold the tears just the tears of admiring nature admiring the mountain and, and then coming back to yourself to admire your ability and and your strength and and all that you went through to be able to conquer it that is one of those moments that lives with the person forever i don't think one can easily or clearly articulate it such that understands that feeling it's it's, it's personal. You can never really uh, sh- say to explain it in words. But in in, in my case, I really felt that when, when I stood at the top, I just felt that I was so fulfilled and that I was so happy about the whole thing that I thought that, you know what, even if you just pass out and die here, that would be fine.
0: What is very interesting that people, when they have um, an aim, when they have a passion, and everybody who I talked to, they said, I have this passion. I don't mind if I die, but I want to die doing things that I love to do. And many people have, uh, have said the same thing. So I understand that you, you are really putting your life in jeopardy. And you know, you might not come down, but you still do it always
1: um always now that i've sat down after the many years of going to the steep mm-hmm. mountains and seeing what happens um, to other people and how we would come back having survived um i have accepted the same fate or fact that when i say goodbye to my family the chances are that that could be the last goodbye, I say to them. You still hold, you still have the hopes and and, and the faith and and you pray that you will be fine, it's you okay, you'll come back, but you are never certain. That's just one other lesson, I think, which we can all apply to life. I think even we sort of deceive ourselves, which is good because you need to create the hope. We deceive ourselves when we get up in the morning, walk out the door to go somewhere we think that we'll come back, but we are never certain about that. So mountains have sort of instilled in us the same feeling. And and that's why we we walk out with respect, with every respect, that, you know what, I'm just going out there. Someone beyond me is in control, is in charge. I don't know who that is, but I just think and hope that um, I will be safe and I'll come back home. It is quite good to realise that as a human being, I think, um, that, you are not invincible. We are all vulnerable every time and everywhere we are, but mountains tends to expose you to that vulnerability and reveal to you that you are never in charge, you are never in control. Only um, superpowers up there are in charge because anything can happen. I mean, one, one, one example is the same one I've used in 2014, when, uh, when somehow out of the blue, these shepherds had been walking up and down the same area but that moment, that one morning, it decided it was going to let go and killed all fourteen of them, which was tragic. But it, it happened like that again, confirming that it it is never certain of what the next second or next minute would be like for all of us.
0: You know, we forgot how to respect nature. I know when I was around twelve years old, I almost drowned in the ocean, and I have so much respect for ocean for the ocean. And I'm, it makes you a little bit more careful. But there is there is something major about because you realize how little you are and nature, how big and really like when people say, oh, we can control. No, you cannot. And yeah. the other thing, you are not in control of your life either because you can go out and die now. If something hits you. So there is always taking a chance, but the worst thing, not taking a chance.
1: It is, yes. So so that's why then those of us, because I think it takes a level of maturity and growth to mm-hmm. think at that level, to think at that level of, you know what, I can possibly die anyway if if death is what I'm going to talk about. I can possibly get injured anyway, if injury is what I'm thinking about. So those of us who have grown to think at that level, that's why we leave home and we say we're going to go and then we know that we things might happen, but we hope that it won't, they won't happen. We know that we are not in charge, we're not in control, and therefore we walk out with humility and respect, respect for self, respect for other people, and respect for nature, because yes, when it comes to nature, we human beings are nothing. And those of us who have seen things where we would sit in a in a windstorm and praying dearly or holding dearly to our lives, hoping that the tent doesn't just blow off the mountain realize that, you know what, I can't do anything now here. So I just need to let go, let go to say whatever happens, happens. So those of us who have experienced these, like you say, we have huge respect for nature and and and, and that I think is good for us. Um I think it the same thing that sort of pulled us through COVID, uh, because COVID, I think, exposed us as human beings that we are never in charge. We think we are, but we are not in control. And we were just almost defeated by a virus, and almost what us off anyway. And you know what?
0: Yeah. When your time is up, is up. Now, um, I would like to uh, to finish uh, on this note because I would like to uh, to make some uh, little um, podcast. And my question is at this point: How can people reach you? I'm going to post it on, below. Uh, but I would like to let them know how they can reach you if they want to have just dip their toes in what it takes to climb Mount Everest, how they can get there, and and everything else that they have to know.
1: Yes, well, thank you for that. The best way for now, even in as much as I mean, I mean, all the other social media platforms, I'm on LinkedIn, and City of I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, but the best. For, for questions like that or questions even about the track to base camp and even a summit attempt for those who will aspire to go all the way to the top. the best way is my website, which is www.sibucsovilane.co.za. And that is that is the best way because there's also a blog there. There's also my contact number. I'm both on WhatsApp on the two numbers that are there. People can WhatsApp me. But there's also a box where they can just leave a message there, which I then see and I can, I can respond to their queries anytime. It will be such a delight to get to educate people about the mountain and about what we do, um, just for the sake of enjoying life, really.
0: And you need also funding, you need people to donate. And I know that every time you climbed a mountain, a part went to the charities. So I would um I send you the money and you could not deposit it uh, yet, so we figure out a way how it's easier for people to send you the money, and um, I'm we're going to come back and I'm going to post it. You're going to post it when we figure it out. What is the easiest way for everybody to to support you?
1: Yes, we will, and thank you very much indeed. So very kind of you to to start the donation process. Yes, we we need I was trying to put together the list of clothing and gear that we are approaching this company if they can sponsor part of it. So I realized that they cannot fully sponsor the whole thing together, the love that we need. I'm 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 fine on my side because I've been climbing for years. I've got some of my old clothing and gear, but all five members of my family don't have nothing. We're starting from from scratch. So Donations will go towards making sure that we buy the right clothing gear, the footwear, and all of that. And I've, I've always promised that, over and above that, if we get um, more than we need, we will always donate to the charity. And, and we know that there's a charity that I'm involved with, which is Summit with the Purpose. This is a charity that supports. Um education in Africa, where they build libraries and trying to make sure that every child get an opportunity to to read, because we still believe in literacy. So so that if I raise any money, any any more than what we need, we'll definitely donate that to that charity. But yes, lots of donations that we need at the moment. The sponsorship that we're looking for at the moment could be for uh, flights and for for the gear or clothing. Um, anyone is very welcome to donate as they please
0: i saw the shoes you got it's really cool from you from a friend of yours you put it on uh, instagram
1: yes my i running ones because yeah. beginning of this year when i noticed that i've got lots of running and i don't i didn't have a very good pair of shoes i just went again and said something on facebook and she was listening and, and then i got a message from her saying well i I don't have a lot, but I will be I should be able to don to give some money that will uh buy you a pair. And then I was just delighted so when she did, and thanks to her as well. So yeah, we we live in um in, in a family and um friends, so we will help each other, which is wonderful. I think all of us can really adopt this idea of helping another person to achieve or to grow in Africa. We call it the spirit of Ubuntu, which is the spirit of humanity so we have that
0: uh... thank you so much Sibusiso. so I'm going to see you soon again and we're going to see where you are at the stages of preparation to go to uh to Everest and thank if you we are lucky uh, we can uh, follow you when you get to the to um, the base on your yes, journey we're... so I'm
1: sure we will definitely be posting on a regular basis because I know that you they, they can buy a voucher for internet internet connectivity. So we will be genuine with everyone that will be following us. Then And obviously we will be going out with the family for our first uh, family training on the, just on the first weekend of February. So maybe we can, we can reconnect there and chat about how that went.
0: Oh, we'll that see. would be fun. You could take a little uh, video or something. Maybe we can even talk
1: after Absolutely. that
0: and the family yes. they feel. Yes. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Have a awesome much week. Yeah. And yeah, I'm 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 going to see you on Instagram and next time again here.
1: Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time again. Lovely talking to you.
0: Thank very you. lovely talking to you too. Thank you for listening.